Hello and welcome to Bad Songwriter Podcast. I'm your host, Anna Holmquist. We're here today with Joshua Wentz. How's it going? It's going well. How are you doing? Doing all right. I was just saying before we hit record that I'm sweating my ass off. <laughs> um, but that's honestly great. <laughs> I do love a, a hot summer in Chicago. I do too. As long I as I don't say. have to be at work. At work, it can be just a nightmare. This past week, I've my, my annoyance level has been like super high. And I've been taking it out on a lot of people I shouldn't have. <laughs> yeah, that that is the thing. The annoyance level can can be a lot. Yeah. But but otherwise, for having fun in the sun, for doing things that you enjoy, I like it. Yes. Everybody's out outside doing stuff. And uh, you know, to timestamp it, uh, we're we just moved into phase five yesterday, so people are raring to go. They really are. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we are here to talk about some bad songs, yes. which you have You've <laughs> sent some along for us to listen to. I had so many to choose from, but I <laughs> picked three. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, when did you first start writing songs? Um, I guess I started writing like song songs uh, around 2000 or so. Um, but before that, like in 1996, most of what I was doing was instrumental in nature. But I started mm-hmm. r- like recording in 1996 and then started being more serious about writing songs much later. Uh, and for those like first things you started recording in 1996, how were you recording them? This was right when I got into the dorms in college. So I was at University of Cincinnati studying architecture. And and of course, you know, when you're going to architecture school, you need to bring a full-size weighted key keyboard to your dorm, right? (laughs) Right. Uh, (laughs) So I brought this piano with me because I kind of took it everywhere. It was a Christmas gift from my parents. And I met a friend who was a big computer nerd. And so he gave me a copy of a program I think was called Finale for my brand new gateway pc running windows 95 what that was it was like a kind of more compositional notation software but it allowed you to record playing in midi and then basically spit it back out so what i would do is i would like record like playing into the computer maybe tweak a a few things clearly not too many things as you'll hear and then (laughs) (laughs) spit it back out into a Better than the computer MIDI box, which I got, um, which was like a Korg. I think it was called like an 05RW. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's you'll probably hear a lot of cheesy like sounds from the time from this MIDI box because it was pretty popular. And it was like maybe two or three steps up from whatever your computer MIDI was at the time, which also wasn't great. So yeah, so I just kind of was doing that for the first one or two albums I did. And then I started kind of getting into better software as I went. All right, well, let's get into it. Why don't we why don't we give this first one a listen? What's the first one called? Is there anything you want to say about it before we press play? Yeah, so this one, the first one is called The Serpent Shore and the preface for this is that I couldn't just start writing stuff. I had to have a concept. So, I decided to write a conceptual soundtrack to my favorite uh science fiction stories, which were this uh this series called The Cold Fire Trilogy by CS Friedman. So this track is part of a larger concept album, first album, concept album, makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) And uh, it's not the worst one on the album, but I chose it because at the time it was the best one I could do. And I considered it to be very good. And it's, you'll see, it's not very good. (laughs) (laughs) This is a slow burn. (laughs) 
to pick up uh, not a usual time signature here. I think it was recorded in 7-4, but sounds more like a 3-4-3-4-4-4. How many tracks total were on the concept album? Uh, ten tracks, and uh, I tried to kind of run the gamut of which sounds I could make come out of this MIDI box. Mm-hmm. The seashore is part of that. This tambourine is part of that. Um, <laughs> very minimal amount of dynamics because you had to kind of program the dynamics, and I really was not very experienced right. at that. So there's really no mix, and uh, things just <laughs> kind of loop <laughs> a lot. <laughs> So, yeah, a lot of, like, kind of downtime in this one. It is, you know, I guess, it, to my credit, it's a soundtrack, so it should just have space in it. Um, That's true. But we're about to come up on, like, one of my cardinal sins, which is something I call octopus piano playing. <laughs> we'll, I'll let it happen, and then I'll talk about it some okay, more. Okay, great. <laughs> So anyone that plays piano, try playing all of this at the same time. It's not possible <laughs> because I just was like, oh, I can add more and more layers and layers and layers. So you can basically, if you have a looper pedal now, you could definitely play this song, but I wasn't thinking in those terms. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Listening back, I was actually surprised by this part. I couldn't remember that there actually was a change of any sort. I, mm -hmm. I felt like it was just going to be like super repetitive and long, where it's just repetitive and long. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I really like to think about an octopus playing, playing this song. <laughs> Yeah, that could be pretty cool, actually. Maybe uh, mm -hmm. I was wondering if it was just kind of inappropriate to have multiple pianos playing music at the same time, because it seems kind of like cheating. Usually with like classical piano, you know, right. it's like the person is playing. Um, and I've seen really cool things uh, uh, where people play like five pianos and they're all, or they're all like in sync with each other. And it's truly amazing. Mm -hmm. um, it really is. But I've never played in a band where, that had like two keyboardists, you know? You know, I never have either. I don't think so. Or like not in any substantial yeah, way, I yeah. guess. But that could be really cool. Yeah, I'd be up for it. Oh, here's my vocals. Yeah, so I recorded this with the microphone that came with the Gateway PC, which is one of those little like slender ones that has like a little circular stand that's just meant for yeah. like voice chats or whatever 1996 version of voice chats were. Right. So yeah, you can hear a low, low hum from the 
from the mic in here if you're listening. Uh, and this is probably this is the some of the oldest files I have that I've managed to keep through multiple drives, and so it's probably 190 or 128 kilobytes. MP3 is the best I have of this song at this point. It's impressive that you were able to hang on to it for so long. I know. Can't let go of the past. You got to remember your mistakes. <laughs> That's how I feel. Yeah. That's why I do this podcast. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I find I find a, again a lot. Whenever I'm starting a new project, I really like to listen back to things and hear about hear things I liked and I didn't like about what I did before and see if I can either improve on them or pull a little grain of something cool out of what was pretty much a trashy track. And uh, it works out sometimes. Totally. I mean, yeah, for for all the bad songs I've written, I think there's plenty of them that have like some elements that are good, whether that's maybe like a catchy melody line or an interesting-ish guitar idea or something like that. I think there's definitely stuff to pull. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, in typical fashion for almost all of my stuff for a good couple of years, it just sort of ends. <laughs> <laughs> just, just sort of fades on out. <laughs> so the best part about this is that once I finished writing this uh, speculative album, I was like, well, I have to have Celia Friedman hear it. Um, so <laughs> I burned it on a CD. I managed to get oh um, her mailing address for her P.O. box, uh, either from mm-hmm. her fan club or e- emailing her directly, perhaps. And I sent it along and <laughs> I was like, yeah, she's going to love it. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> and she did write me back and she was very, very kind. Um, and I think it, I benefited from her never having received a fan soundtrack before. I, f- I think now it's probably pretty common that people would send in homages to authors or other artists about music. Totally. But back then it wasn't really happening. But she actually, uh, many years later, around two, 2011, ended up writing a foreword for a book project that i was involved in and she re- agreed to do it because she remembered me so <laughs> oh wow oh that's so cool yeah. so pro tip that's for everybody sweet. you know get even your terrible music in front of the right people <laughs> and it works out for you <laughs> yeah well it's just like you know sometimes it uh you should just do the thing that seems like a little silly or crazy because you know i feel like with that kind of thing especially now like you were saying it's a lot easier to send along you know whatever right. band camp link to the music or a digital file or something like that but you never know maybe they'll never listen to it but maybe they will and they'll appreciate it yeah and i think you know people that work in other mediums don't have the same critical view uh as you do about <laughs> about things so yes. you can be like oh this music's really good and it's probably not that good but you don't know so it's great <laughs> right right for sure yeah yeah i definitely wrote some songs when i was younger that were like about fantasy books i had read sure. things like that i don't think i never sent them to any of the authors though. <laughs> I, just, I just wrote them it's really good fodder for things because it allows you to kind of uh take yourself out of your own world and the Mm -hmm. descriptions of other worlds or other scenarios that you might not ever think up yourself are right there for you. All right. Well, what's the next one that we're going to listen to? The next one is I think on our entitled imagine building opening. Mm -hmm. This is a couple years later. This is around 2000 and this is recording at a house I lived at in Cincinnati, still in uh, the architecture school. So this song was actually written and recorded for a documentary that the School of Architecture was producing. My friend, the one who actually gave me Finale all those years back, he and I were helping to film and produce and edit this architecture documentary about some 
architecture, I think including the Zaha Hadid Contemporary Art Museum that had just been built. Yeah, so I was doing a soundtrack. This is actually the second <laughs> second soundtrack I did for these same people. So they apparently liked the first one well enough to hire me back. Yeah. Um, and I decided to use a guitar on this one. Um, I don't know how to play guitar. I, I barely <laughs> know how to play guitar now. I certainly didn't know back then. Um, uh-huh. So see if you can tell. Let's, uh, let's, <laughs> let's listen to it. <laughs> let's do it. solid guitar recording um Mm -hmm. and i don't know where this percussion came from i I tried to rack my brain and it's it might be a sample of something that i tweaked but i just have no clue super in tune uh great fret noise work by me as is common just lots of layers i just was like layers 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 yeah got that little tweak of like a bad string like just a bad string hit at the very end too just yeah to, and this is again someone paid me to produce that and uh they used it that's and great it's on <laughs> it's it's in there it's in the ether if someone wants to pull up this uh this this documentary at some point that is in it oh that's amazing yeah i did i did so the upgrade between the two songs from technology wise was like going to using i think cool edit pro was the software i was using at this point Mm -hmm. still on a pc but then i had actually gotten a sound card that allowed me to plug directly in with a quarter inch jack into the computer so that guitar was uh an acoustic electric that was just di'd into the computer so and it sounds like it i think everyone (laughs) knows that sound it does (laughs) it does sound like it (laughs) but you know that's fine that's what it was so how how would it sound any different yeah, and I mean, and you got you've mentioned on this show a lot. Um, what is the deal with the terrible takes that we kept, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, for me, I can say it's a combination of laziness and a touch of the the Dunning Kruger effect. You know, which is that that thing where people have a false sense of overconfidence because it's the best they can do. And so when you're doing when you're when you're you know working on things and writing new stuff, you you figure mm-hmm. out how to do something. And you're like, ooh, this is good. But it's actually just because it's like you never got to that stage. <laughs> There's no criti- critical thinking at that point. You're just like all optimism. <laughs> totally. I think that makes total sense. I mean, definitely laziness for me, too. <laughs> and I think there was like part of for some of it when I was when I was like having other people record my stuff because I didn't really do a lot. Of, I didn't really do a lot of self-recording mm-hmm. um, at the start of my musical career. But 
I think there was like a level of embarrassment too, where I'm like, I didn't really want to do a lot of takes. Right. Cause I didn't want to, you know, I didn't, yeah, I was like, that's fine. We can just stop there. Cause then I don't have to do anymore. <laughs> and I don't have to have this person <laughs> like watch me struggle through it again. Exactly. You know, I, um, I haven't worked in uh, professional studios too much, but the thing I learned from the time I've spent in them is there's really engineers that, um, that want to see a good finished product have a few good tricks um, up their sleeve in terms of getting a performance they want. They're in there listening mm-hmm. they're kind of critical and they can say things like, I think you got one more in you, you know, um, just to keep the positive vibe and not saying that one was trash. Like, you know, <laughs> there's a couple things you just got to do to keep people, people motivated when they're recording because it can be a little demoralizing if it's frustrating, you're not hitting where you want to hit. I mean, even in this case with this track, Nowadays, even if I couldn't get the best recording out of it, I would still at least take the time to like cut it and get it lined up, get the th- get things lined up into place. The guitar was ahead of the beat half the time, or at least one of the guitars was. The other one was behind it. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> so you know, it's it's I, I do chalk it up to everyone's making the best choice they can at the time they're making it, um, but that doesn't mean it's any good. And again, I. I succeed by not having anyone be critical of me. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think, uh, who was it? Was it Iverson on your podcast that was saying that he wished people would be more critical yes, of, of the yeah. work because mm-hmm. it doesn't help you grow for people to be like, that's not great. Right. Totally. My pro tip on that track is offer up your services to people who don't know any better and have no, <laughs> no other option. And you can undercut anyone. I don't, at that point, a 2000 again, I don't know if even anyone had the thought to say, let's reach out to someone at the music school to see if they want to write a soundtrack. I I was just like, I'll do it. Right. And they're like, well, he said he would. So here it is. Totally. (laughs) But also that kind of stuff too, is like just really great practice and like writing in different ways and different forms and like writing two different specifications. Sure. It's like so good to get that practice, like across sort of like, yeah, I don't know. Just like different projects, like writing, not just for yourself, but like, for a specific thing yeah kind of the same thing with wanting to have that concept album for me for 1996 i love having parameters i love having something to work Mm -hmm. within i do composition now for theater and you know soundtracks if they come up but i love doing it for theater because it's it's different sorts of like you said genres that i never would think to write in uh moods and even kind of just the methodology of having to not only sync music up to action, but also allow right. for the variability of that action. So like, you know, cues where it's like, if this cue comes in late, that, you know, someone has to be able to adjust to that. Uh, and that sort of stuff is really fun. I just did a soundtrack for a youth, a queer youth uh, play that they did via Zoom because everyone thinks Zoom right now. And it was set in 71. And I was like, how am I even going to get anything to sound like 1971? where with in addition to the cues i was trying to create so i was like researching what music was popular back then and seeing if i could do something along those lines again not being a guitar player it's kind of tough but um but yeah i did i I think i got a little bit of the way there and it was a super learning process every time it always is totally yeah i like right it's just like a puzzle it's like a challenge yeah i love that kind of stuff absolutely and and you do the songwriter club stuff yeah, too yeah. that I have been a part of before and I think one of the things that I've enjoyed about that especially when I was doing it more is like being able to write to a prompt mm-hmm. like there's there's a prompt that you can write to for the songwriter club it's like a word that's pulled out of a 
hat yep. or receptacle or whatever. <laughs> uh, and you can write to it or not. And I, I really appreciate it appreciated that because sometimes I'm feeling uninspired and I'm like okay like I'm gonna think about you know car like wh what can I write about car yeah just something to get the juices flowing um in fact the song that I gave you to play at the over the over the end of your show today uh is one of the ones from the songwriting prompt and I was like this is awesome. this turned out great and uh it also kind of dovetails with my last song in terms of like weirdly some things that I did in this third track are, uh, are still present in something I'm doing now, which I guess is just like maybe music is just coded to our DNA or something. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Yeah, actually, John's Car, the song on my last Esther album, mm -hmm. is one that came out of the songwriting club oh, wow. prompt. So, you yeah. know, like it can really be helpful. Yeah. But let's get into this last track of yours. All right, let's uh, do it. This is a nightmare. <laughs> great. <laughs> this is the song that was when I found, when I refound this, all this stuff, and I was going through the hard drives, I was like, Okay, I think I have something for this podcast. <laughs> because the other stuff, while isn't necessarily uh, embarrassing, I can understand why it's bad. And this one mm -hmm. is both bad and super embarrassing. Uh, Great. Yeah, so this is 1998. I'm living in New York City at the time. Um, sublet in Brooklyn with three roommates. And so my desk was set up in the hallway. It was next to like this iguana <laughs> cage. Um, and I think I've heard a couple of people mention on your show before too, that, uh, you know, it's like, it's really fun when you're trying to record vocals, but you're also embarrassed. Uh, so the vocal, the vocal takes yeah. come out really good. Um, <laughs> so I will say this, um, this is hundred percent the worst thing I've ever done on pretty much every <laughs> level. And I do not know what the point of this song is. Uh, I went back and listened to it a bunch to kind of steal myself for this moment. And, uh, it makes no sense, has no point. Um, and I, ostensibly wrote it for my girlfriend at the time um so let's start there i think <laughs> great <laughs> oh and most of the instruments are still coming out of this same midi box at this point mm-hmm awesome piano sound <laughs> oh boy, here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that you listened to it a bunch to try to desensitize yeah. yourself. <laughs> I, d I tried. <laughs> <laughs> Working on some harmonies there, but at the same time, like gliding into every note from below, which is just a nightmare. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm imagining you trying to record this like in the hallway while knowing people are hearing you. That's rough. <laughs> that is a rough way to do it. And I'm it. pretty sure I'm still using that same uh, microphone. The microphone? <laughs> <laughs> I put a little bit of a like, tremolo effect on this vocal. Oh, yeah. Cool, cool. I don't know where this hi-hat sound came from, but it's like all you can hear at a certain point. It's just like <laughs> over top of everything.
I'm actually impressed at this point that I did any sort of verse chorus bridge structure because I don't remember really writing it. I think at this point I was just like making segments of sound in the computer and then kind of smashing them together. So Right. Okay, we've entered the long and boring middle breakdown section. <laughs> um, also also a hallmark of many of my... I looked back at a lot of songs. I have like a lot of five-minute, six-minute long songs because when you create loops in a... In a this was like kind of before GarageBand, right? So right. I would try to create as close of a loop I could in Cool Edit Pro and then just copy, paste, 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 paste and try to like build a song that way. And so it just ended up with lots of long segments that don't really go anywhere because you're trying to build to the place where you want to be. Right. Editing is uh, a new, <laughs> a newer uh, practice for me, I guess, in, in my long <laughs> storied history. <laughs> Wait, here we're coming to the very important part. <laughs> Wait for it. Yes, Age Like Milk, Kevin Hell Spacey yeah. audio clip. Yep. The Usual Suspects was this girlfriend's favorite movie, so I had to include uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> she feels the Again, I just don't know what I'm talking about here. I think coming up with a melody was as, as, is all I could really do at a certain point. And I started treating like, I started treating vocals as an instrument. So it didn't really matter what I was saying, as long uh-huh. as the notes were being sung. Right. Oh, we're getting to a really, really bad vocal take. <laughs> yeah, come from. I don't know. I don't even like that sort of music, so I don't know why I would uh, vocalize that. It just seeped into your con. It just seeped into your consciousness. Exactly. It was, like, in your brain. It was emotional. You know? you know, it's emotional. Right. That's just emotion. <laughs> Which is something I I will admit I don't have a lot of. I'm, I'm kind of like uh, you know, just uh, I'm not a very like super. High emotion person. I'm kind of even keeled. Right. So yeah, eh, long and boring. We kind of <laughs> again just go. It goes away. Everything just. It's like uh, everyone decides to take their instrument and leave at a certain point. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so the drum guy left. The the or the hi hat guy. We'll get rid of the kick guy. The piano guy's the last one because he's me, and I'm just like, well, I guess I'll be here by myself again. <laughs> Yes, perfect piano ending. Again, I played piano since I was five years old. I have no excuse for recording bad piano music. Uh, (laughs) But I will say that uh, this girl, again, she received a CDR in the mail. Um, Because we Mm -hmm. were, I think at this point, I was in an internship in New York. She was in an internship in Boston. And uh, 
it was a while before she broke up with me, so it wasn't because of this song. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great then. Yeah. Then she probably liked it. Or, you know, she liked me enough to bear it, which right. I think yeah. is probably Which is also likely. nice. I'll take it. Hey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. There's like definitely some stuff that I've written in the past where I'm like, it's really nice that people sat and listened to me play it. Right. <laughs> Very gracious of everyone. But I do think, yeah. too, when you're writing a music for your bro- girlfriend or boyfriend or whoever, uh, most of the songs you'll hear are uh, meaningful, have, have like love type emotions behind it this one doesn't have anything behind it it's just (laughs) words spewed out it doesn't it's not telling a story it's not telling a story about the two of us so it's just it's confounding um in a way (laughs) but it exists and you made it through that's right hey i did it (laughs) i can put that back in the hard drive where it belongs (laughs) yes yes but yeah i would say you know this this was like the true like confluence of bad takes bad mixing uh mm-hmm. pointless song long and boring uh <laughs> kevin spacey's in it it's just like you know right. everything could go wrong i wrong. really i did not expect the kevin spacey <laughs> i have to say no one expects it <laughs> no <laughs> no <laughs> uh, how would you say that your songwriting process has changed over the years well i would say you know, it's definitely changed a lot. Um, and I kind of mm-hmm. mentioned before we listened to that song, I can still hear echoes of everything that we listen to today and what I create now. But the two things that I do differently are, uh, one, work on things as drafts, assume their their sketches, edit them, work, you know, go away from them, come back, and really kind of carve out songs. I will write lyrics mm-hmm. to something, sing a, a, uh, a scratch vocal take, listen to it a bunch of times, and then come back in re-edit all the words like maybe i used a word twice that i don't want to use or something like that and kind of be critical of my own work kind of uh, elim- mm-hmm. eliminate the dunning kruger aspect of what i do and try to go i'm not a super genius so i'm assuming there's something wrong with this what can i go in and fix mm-hmm. and the other thing is um actually just writing a journal try to write regularly um not specifically lyric based but just any journal that I started writing before, like 2018, I probably ripped up and threw in the garbage a week after starting it. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I'm not a feelings-based person, so trying to write emotional uh, things felt kind of false or maybe unearned in a way. Um, so I just try to write my thoughts of the day and then some maybe some fiction, anything just describing things and try to keep those handy so that when I'm ready to write an actual song, I can go back in there pull out a few little interesting tidbits or find a find a concept that's worth working out and spend more time on it. So not just starting from scratch every time, having a little bit of a buildup of content and thought before I start writing a song. Totally. Yeah, I mean, I do that kind of with, not with like a formal journal or anything, mm-hmm. but definitely with my notes app. I just have a bunch yeah. of different things that I've thought about that I write down in there, whether it's like you know, sometimes it's just a line or two or like you're saying sort of like an idea or an image or maybe like a little poem type thing. And I will, if I'm writing a new song, I'll go back and see if there's anything interesting that I can pull out. And that really is helpful because then you don't feel like you're totally starting from scratch or starting from square one every single time that you're sitting down. That blank slate can be intimidating. Um, And, you know, I kind of trudged and stumbled my way through learning to be good at recording i feel like i'm i'm Mm -hmm. pretty good now um i 
at least what I what I intend to do is what I end up with most of the time in terms of recording. So for me, a lot of it was, you know, me starting out on this island of being in architecture school trying to do music and no one else around me doing that at all. And mm-hmm. and I don't know why. And, uh, you know, before YouTube existed, you would just go like, I think I need a mixer. I don't, I don't know. People have mixers. So, you know, I bought, right. I bought a mixer that I probably didn't use for like seven years because I was like, what, 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 why do I have this? I think I, I first bought an SM57 because I'm like, that's a microphone people have. Um, yeah. So then I bought it. I'm like, how do I make this work? Do I need phantom power? What's phantom power? You know, so, so a lot right. of my songwriting only, you know, uh, gains, I guess, <laughs> um, only came after I became confident enough with recording that I felt... I could make happen what I need to happen. I mean, 1998-ish was like, there's a website called mp3.com that was kind of a proto SoundCloud. Um, and I would put stuff up on there, download, you download people's music and you just hear things that people were doing. It was very educational for me to kind of figure out what people, what software people were using. Were they using Fruity Loops or whatever? I guess it's called mm-hmm. FL Studio now. Um, this, uh, this software the cool edit pro software that i got i got from a friend's brother and i used it for years and years just a cracked you know software and uh i learned a lot from that stuff so it's kind of like uh, appreciating where it came from but also kind of realizing that like you can't really start at a place where you feel good until you you, you, it's whether you're recording or whether you're just like learning an instrument it's kind of like Mm -hmm. you know you can only do if you if you only can learn two chords on a guitar you'll only write songs with two chords Right. So I think I've kind of graduated from that school, at least in the last couple of years. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, what are some things you've been listening to lately that you've been enjoying? Yeah. Um, well, today being record store day, I went out and picked up the um, Texas featuring Wu-Tang Clan 12 inch that I've been looking forward to. Um, Texas is kind of a interesting band they they i guess that you would consider them mostly americana even though i think they're british um but they have that kind of like rootsy sort of uh bluesy vibe but they uh did this collab with wu-tang and it's it's crazy um so i'm really into that and then i recently um do you know matt barry he's an actor he's on uh, the it crowd i don't think so um he is also an excellent musician um Oh, and cool. he put out an album a couple weeks ago called The Blue Elephant. And it feels like it was pulled kind of whole cloth from uh, 1968. It's uh, the, the recording, the instruments he used, the style of it is like very retro and authentic. And uh, mm-hmm. I've really been into it. I, I listened to it a lot specifically to try to get that uh, 1971 vibe from that play I was working on. Right. And I just was like, this is, this was the only bit of inspiration I could really get from it because it was someone doing something contemporary with that old sound. And then, uh, I've been kind of obsessed with relisting to, um, the album, the screen behind the mirror by Enigma. Super excellent. It's, uh, a <laughs> and you know, Enigma's like very new age kind of vibe. Um, mm-hmm. this album is kind of built all around a sample of O Fortuna by Carl Orff. Um, oh, wow. and it, it finds its way into every song in some capacity. And it's just like this really cool concept album. Um, and this, and the tracks are good. So yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm at right now. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. It was a great time. I love the show. Awesome. I listen to it a lot. I've thank listened to you. several episodes like again, because there's just, again, always something to kind of glean from 
how people feel about their own work, uh, which I, which I kind of go like, do I feel that way about what I do? Or do I agree with them that their song is bad? Maybe I don't. A lot of times I'm like, that's not bad. That's great. I know. That's <laughs> how I feel sometimes too. But you know, that's good. I, 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 I everyone should, everyone should look back at their work and feel a little bit bad about it. I think. <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> well, on that note, thank you everybody for listening. bearing with me as I release episodes sporadically. Re-entering society is a little tricky. You can find a link to Joshua Wentz's music in the episode description of this podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Bad Songwriter and on Twitter at Bad underscore Songwriter. If you'd like to be on the show, you can email me at BadSongwriterPod at gmail.com. And if you're enjoying the show, we'd love it if you could write us a review. Those really help us out. I hope you have a good week. Bye. But it's far too late. I confess, but I'm too